Welcome to the Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras podcast. I'm Ben Collins. Join me as we take a look at some of the humorous and inspiring stories from the Vedic tradition of India, followed by some traditional chanting and some Indian-themed music. Show notes and other materials on the podcast can be found on the web at puja.net, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to start a two-part podcast series on Mars and the nine planets that are used in the Vedic tradition. We're going to focus specifically on the planet Mars because Mars has just changed signs and in the Vedic system has just entered the sign of Cancer, where he will be joining Saturn, the subject of our podcast last week. As we saw, Saturn is the giver of obstacles and the teacher of lessons in the Vedic worldview. But he does not engage in meaningless troublemaking. His intention is to drive us in the direction of the divine, whether we want to or not. And I came across a very nice example of the effect of Saturn from another tradition. There's a very popular mystical poet by the name of Jaladin Rumi, who comes from the Sufi tradition. He wrote, The servant complains to God of pain. In a hundred ways he moans. God says, But after all, Grief and pain have caused you to act rightly and humbly, to call upon me. Complain instead of the bounty that befalls you and takes you far from my door. In reality, every enemy of yours is your remedy. He is an elixir, a gift, the one that seeks to win your heart, for you flee from him into solitude, imploring God's help. So it's a very nice, interesting way of looking at the role that Saturn as the mythological lesson-giver plays. And Hindu astrology, called Jyotish, is steeped in mythology. All of the planets have stories, and the stories really help you to understand the nature of the planets, as if they each have their own personality. And of course, you start to read a Jyotish chart, and to find that the planets always behave according to their own personalities. So, a couple of podcasts ago, we saw how Saturn's personality was slow, dark, quiet, conservative, cautious, etc. And now we're going to talk about Mars, who is pretty much the opposite of Saturn. Mars is bright, boisterous, impulsive, energetic, optimistic. Now, can you imagine what happens when these two completely different forces of nature start to combine? Well, this is going to happen during the month of June, and it will be interesting to watch and see what takes place on a large scale in the world, as well as in our individual lives. The principle of making explosives is to take one substance that generates a lot of expansive force and constrain it until it bursts out of its container, and the result is an explosion. Well, Mars is called the Bhumi Putra, which means son of the earth, and so it would not surprise me at all to see no volcano or other natural disaster on a large scale take place in this coming month. So we'll see what happens. In a Hindu temple, there is often a morti or statue of the nine planets. They're configured in three rows of three planets each, with the sun in the center, flanked by Mars and Jupiter. The sun is the king, and the king has his advisor or teacher, Jupiter, guru in Sanskrit, and his protector, Mars, Angarika in Sanskrit. In front of him, you find a row of three planets which represent the worldly side of life. You have Venus for possessions and pleasure, Shukra in Sanskrit, the moon, Chandra in Sanskrit, and Mercury, Buddha in Sanskrit. 
Behind the sun, born from a mother named Chaya, or shadow, is Saturn, Shani. Saturn is flanked by Rahu and Ketu, two mythological planets who are referred to as Chaya Grahas because they don't actually have physical existence, but they are very useful in Jyotish and have a clearly defined and predictable influence. So all the planets have their own story, and they are also associated with specific deities. Venus with Lakshmi because she is responsible for material possessions and pleasure. Saturn with Ganesha because he rules obstacles, and Saturn is obstacles, and so on. So Mars, being a somewhat violent and aggressive planet, is associated with the divine commander in the Vedic tradition called Kartikeya, or Subramanyam, or Skanda, or Murugan. He has lots of different names. The story of the birth of Kartikeya is really fun, and we'll follow that next week with some more stories about Mars and Kartikeya, or Subramanyam. But the Vedic tradition is that when you want Mars to look favorably upon you, you do pujas for Kartikeya. There are two stories about the birth of Kartikeya, one that he is a child born to Shiva and Parvati, and the other that he is the son of Agni, or the god of fire. It's Agni and Kartikeya's story that I'm going to tell today because it's both amusing and it also ends up with the creation of the Milky Way. So the next time you go out at night and look up and see the Milky Way, you'll remember this little story. In Vedic mythology, there are seven rishis, called the Saptarishi, who are pretty much a constant throughout the entire time the universe exists. And they are referred to as the bears because they make up the stars in what we now think of as the Big Dipper, but whose technical name is Ursa Major, the Big Bear. And the wives of the Rishis are called the Pleiades, a cluster of stars near them in the sky. Well, the Rishis had conducted a grand fire yagna, and Agni, who is fire, was obviously a big part of it as it is his job to consume the offerings made into the fire and to distribute them to the gods. But as the yagya was taking place, Agni was consumed with lust for the wives of the rishis. And afterwards, he would enter their household fires to touch them. But they, being pure, refused to be tempted. So Agni was pretty tortured by this, and he resolved to go off into the forest and do meditations to purify himself of his uncontrollable lust. So off he goes to the forest, where he's spotted by Swaha, a daughter of Daksha and sister to Sati, who was Shiva's first wife. Now, Swaha had a long-time crush on Agni and was delighted to see him and expressed her passion for him, but he wasn't interested at all. So she, being rather tricky, as sometimes the goddesses can be, looked into his mind and discovered his lust for the wives of the seven rishis. So she changed her form into one of the wives of the rishis and made love with him. Now, of course, he was thrilled, having immediately forgotten his austerities. One after another, she took the form of each of the wives in turn and made love to him over and over. But she ran into trouble when she tried to take the form of Arunthati, who was the wife of the rishi Vasishta. She was so pure that she couldn't assume her form. But during that day, Swaha mated with Agni six times, and afterwards, each time, she assumed the form of a bird and flew to the top of a nearby white mountain. And there she dripped Agni's semen into a safe receptacle, so she could later prove that the wives of the seven rishis had not committed adultery with Agni. 
Well, the complication was that Agni's seed was so powerful that it assumed the form of a young boy named Skanda. He was so powerful that he tormented the mountains until he could no longer be contained. But by now the secret was out, and there were wild rumors spreading everywhere that six of the Rishi's wives were his mothers. Needless to say, the Rishis found out and were upset by this and immediately divorced their wives and sent them away, regardless of how unfair this might have been. And the sage Viswamitra had seen everything. He tried to explain what had happened, but to no avail. So the goddesses came to him and asked him to elevate them to the heavens. And so he did, and we see them now in the sky as the cluster of stars known as the Pleiades. And the six wives, when they saw the young Kartikeya, even though they were not strictly his uh, mother, were uh, so enamored of him that their breasts spontaneously oozed milk, which became the Milky Way. Now, to conclude the story, Agni later married Swaha, and you can imagine after his behavior the marital balance of power was somewhat upset, and I can imagine their discussions when she reminds of of how they met and what his behavior was like. Now, the priests tell this story and always remark that during a fire yagya, the offerings are made into Agni's fire. And while this is happening, the chanting of each line concludes with swaha-a, which in Sanskrit means to offer. But as you now know, it is also the name of Agni's wife. So it's a little like calling swaha and asked her to allow Agni to accept this offering. So husband and wife are eternally linked, and it seems that Swaha always has the upper hand. Now Subramanyam, or Kartikeya if you prefer, his main mission was to kill a demon who had received a boon that he not be killed on either land nor sea, nor during the day nor during the night. So eventually Subramanyam met him to do battle on a beach in South India uh, during low tide, which was therefore neither land nor sea, and at dusk, which was neither day nor night. And now on this place is a very beautiful and famous temple called Trichendur, along the coast about halfway between Madras and the southern tip of India. There are several unique things about this temple. Uh, Along one of the halls are a series of old portraits of British ruling nobles who in the 1800s saved the temple from being destroyed because it was sinking into the sea. They rebuilt the foundations, and the temple is still there today. And as you might expect, at dusk there are lots of people taking a swim in honor of Subramanyam's victory there. And incidentally, in spite of being on the southeastern coast of India, the temple was not damaged in the recent tsunami. So for today's musical selections, I wanted to start with some traditional chanting of a sloka called Panchashanti, the five forms of peace related to the five elements. In the Vedic tradition, the universe has five types of components, earth, air, fire, water, and space. And as we discussed today, Mars and Subramanyam are connected to the earth element. So Panchashantri seemed appropriate, and it also contains the famous mantra that is often heard that goes, Sahana Vavatu, Sahana Bunaktu, Sahavir Yam Karavavahe, Tedashvinavadi Dumas Duvavidyashavahe, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. It's often chanted at the beginning of study and essentially means, may we be protected, may God be pleased with us, may we work together, may we be enlightened by our studies, and may we not find reasons to argue. Peace. And with peace in mind for her second selection, 
We have some lovely flute music from Susanna Ting. Her work is available on the web at magnatunes.com, a great site for international music, and the album is called Mystic Journey. So here's the first part of Panchashanti, followed by some flute music. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, yeah, some plan, I'm 
Oh, 